Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today, I'm joined by reporter Jacob Redner. How are you doing today, Jacob? I'm good, Ethan. Uh, you know, one one week down of the season and, uh, you know, rolling. So, doing well. Also joined by reporter Carson Breber. How are you doing today? I'm excellent, Ethan. Excited to talk some football. And, of course, joined by Chris Cartman as well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. No penalties so far on the podcast. So, I think we're off to a pretty decent start. And today, as Chris just alluded to, we'll be talking about Arizona State's 41-14 win against Southern Utah and their first win of the season. It's their 22nd consecutive victory in a home opener. Uh, It's currently the fourth longest active streak in the nation. The biggest storyline, as Chris talked about, we'll get right into it, was a sloppy game that led to penalties. There were 13 penalties for ASU that was 135 yards in total. What did you guys see from the team in terms of sloppiness and penalties? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, it kind of, the numbers speak for themselves. It was, it was a lot of penalties very early on in the game. Uh, you know, ASU has had just one 100 yard penalty game since 2012 uh, prior to Thursday night's game. And then they accomplished that in the first half alone. So uh, it was just it was a lot of sloppy play right out the gate. Uh, Herm Edwards said he anticipated it that they would you know be this sloppy just because of the emotion of being able to play in front of fans again and getting back to what is more normal in terms of a football environment. So he said that it was something he foresaw, but uh, you know that doesn't really absolve the team of the performance. It was it was definitely kind of all over the place. There were penalties that shouldn't have happened for some players who are uh, more experienced than the uh, the penalties they committed. So. It was an interesting uh, first half the way it unfolded, and I think we all kind of can recognize that it was beyond what this team should be doing, especially given its experience. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was clearly the sore point in this game and that ASU was so obviously the more talented and stronger team. And with a group that is so experienced, it is a little bit surprising and maybe concerning that they did come out so sloppy. As Jacob said, Herm Edwards said that he expected the emotion to be maybe just excessive from them and that he had talked about them throughout camp as being an excited group, but that he had fears that maybe that could leak over into what we saw with the lack of discipline and whatnot. But obviously you can't have mistakes that are that costly in meaningful high stakes, tense games. You can't have Tyler Johnson get thrown out. You can't after that terrible first half as far as penalties go open second half with a false start. Like it was just the sort of repeated mistakes that if this were to happen mid season against a high caliber opponent in which it's sort of a toss up game, those are the kind of things that lose you meaningful contests. And I think that everybody within ASU's program is aware of that. So we'll see how they respond. They were not ever this penalized last season. The most yards that they ever gave up due to penalties was 83 against UCLA. So we'll see if this becomes something that is characteristic for this team, or if this was sort of an anomaly in this overly emotional debut. Yeah, 11 penalties in the first half alone. I I just didn't get it. Uh, Herm Edwards did say after the game that he had kind of expected this. But to my mind, I'm saying you're a veteran team, uh, one of the most experienced in the country. And so you should know, like, what things you're looking out to avoid and not do. And then as a coaching staff, if you anticipate that this might be a problem for your team, you're reminding them about it on the front end and you're doing you're taking the, the the corrective action so that you don't have it happen as opposed to telling them after the fact. Um, especially when you have this NCAA investigation 
thing looming over you. And there's a lot of concerns about the discipline or your ability, your willingness or ability to follow rules with fans and media. And then you come out and you have the most penalized half, I'm sure since I've covered the team, that's not exactly a good look, right? And you can get away with it because in Southern Utah, the problem though, is that you don't just like flip on a switch and all of a sudden you're disciplined. Going from undisciplined to disciplined is usually a process and it takes uh, a lot of things kind of not going well in that process before you actually arrive at the place where you really are a disciplined football team. So we'll see if, you know, the excuses that they gave, like the fans were in the stands and so maybe people lost their minds. Like, but I don't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. You have, um, you, you kick the ball out of bounds to start the game. Then you get an interception, which leads to a touchdown. You have two linemen not even on the field for your PAT, including one of your starting offensive linemen, Ladarius Henderson, who never should have even left the field to begin with. Um, there was all kinds of special teams mistakes, which I kind of see those things happening sometimes early in seasons. I even tweeted about that before um, the first first games were played the first week. But really just the what you wanted, what you wanted if you were ASU was to get into a rhythm early on, start putting up some points on the board, get your receivers really, um, you know, feeling involved and, and, and happy with the way things were going. But instead they had a, a, a explosive run called back by a penalty, explosive pass called back by a penalty. You're, they're cutting their own drives off at the legs. And then that prevents you from getting the type of experience that you want out of your first game. And so, yes, in a broader context, when you have um, multiple teams in the, in the conference losing to FCS opponents, Washington, embarrassing, um, you know, Cal and, and Washington State, you know, were embarrassing. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's if you have a high expectations for your team and then you play the way that ASU did in a lot of respects, it was embarrassing, which is what Herm Edwards appropriately called it. And as you guys talked about, when, when there's a game that's almost a foregone conclusion, there's two things that you kind of want to come out with it thinking about, and that's kind of how they played that we just talked about was a little sloppy. And then injuries, the two injuries, Diamante Trainum and Jane Daniels were two of them that ended up going off the field. Chris, are there any updates you can give based on injuries in the team? Right. So Herm Edwards was asked about this during the press conference. He was pretty coy, did not say anything specifically about Trainum. That is the most serious um, situation to watch this week. He's in a walking boot. I don't, I, I would expect that he's not going to practice um, tomorrow when we get out there and we, we watch practices and would probably be at best questionable for this week, but there's no official designation. So we'll have to just see. Uh, I'm sure Jaden Daniels is fine. He probably wishes that he would have taken in a lot more fluids in the day or two leading up to that game because the cramping thing kind of happens um, every year or in, in early season games where players, they just uh, didn't totally prepare their bodies from a hydration standpoint. And then I think uh, Daniel Legata even uh, might've had a shoulder issue that is going to be worth monitoring. So if you have, you know, one running back, okay, fine, out of your three. But if you have two running backs, might not be able to play, then all of a sudden that becomes a little bit more of an issue. Um, so 
we'll keep track. There were, there were no serious injuries other than the one to the walk-on linebacker DeVito on special teams. All right. And, and you talked about the running backs. The offense was fairly good, especially the running backs with 228 rushing yards. All six of the touchdowns were from rushing touchdowns or 5.7 yards per rush. Rashad White, Diamante Tranum, and Daniel Nagata all got into the end zone. What did we see from the rushing attack from ASU and was it as advertised? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was definitely as advertised. We, we had talked about in our season preview podcast that that was the biggest strength of this team. Uh, just the running back unit between White, Trainum, and Nagata, and the three of them didn't disappoint. I mean, they combined for five touchdowns. And today, you know, we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, Herm spoke today, and he even said that, you know, when we run in games and we record at least 200 rushing yards, we're nine and one in the last three years or something like that. And, and you know, it just goes to show you that this team knows its strengths. It was able to rely on it against Southern Utah, and it worked. So I think that it was as advertised, and they were very impressive. I agree with Jacob. I think that they continue to build on obviously what they did last year. And it was interesting to see a variety of guys get touches there because as this game progressed, it really became Daniel Nagata's responsibility to sort of be that bell cow back. He ends up with the most carries of anybody since again, once this game was out of reach, they really turned to him. And so I just think that you saw the depth of this group. You even saw Ricky Pierce all get involved on a reverse and do damage on the ground. So certainly a highlight there. I think that this may be a matchup in which against not only an inferior opponent, frankly, in Southern Utah, but a team that particularly struggled to stop the pass last year that was eviscerated by San Jose State. Maybe this could have been an opportunity to open up the playbook a little bit there. And as Chris said, try to build some of that confidence in the pass game. Instead, they relied more on the run game, which is obviously what they're comfortable with in a game that you're leading and you're just trying not to give it away. That's understandable, but they did not nearly approached that 55% passing mark that Zach Hill said that they were looking to get to this season as far as what percentage of their downs were through the air versus on the ground. So the run game was great, I think, as we pretty much expected, but maybe a little bit overly relied upon. Yeah, I think part of that, Carson, is they were behind the chains more than they wanted to be due to their penalties. So then, you know, that, that causes you some, and then you have to punt more or you, you know, there's just, it doesn't allow for you to get into the type of, of rhythm that you want, right? The, the run game, yeah, no surprise, they're good. Uh, when you get out there with two and three tight ends and a fullback and you run gap scheme against Southern Utah, you should be able to blow them off the football and have some easy uh, runs. And, and they did that quite easily. I thought that the, best unit of the of the game for ASU was probably the offensive line, all things considered. Uh, you had very good run blocking by the interior players, even the exterior players. Uh, PFF had Kellen Deesh as the number one graded offensive lineman, but then, uh, and Ben Scott was somewhere in the top 10 at right tackle, but then uh, Mark Brand, ASU's media relations director, was telling us that from what he heard from ASU's coaches, uh, that uh, it was actually Ladarius Henderson who had the highest grade because he had a um, a number of pancake blocks and that and that um, even Kellen I mean uh, pardon me uh, uh, West Donovan West played really well at center so I I just think that when you look at the run game they they were what you would have expected but given the the, the low level of opponent no surprise right. 
And then from a pass pro standpoint, I pointed this out in the 10 takeaways. Jane Daniels was sacked twice. And actually both of those were his responsibility, as I saw it, versus anything that broke down from a protection standpoint. There was a first and 10 where he tried to prematurely leave the pocket between the right guard and right tackle and didn't work. That that closed down. He got sacked. Then there was a third and 14 where um, really sort of perplexing. He uh, left the pocket running out to his right and then ended up getting sacked rather than throw the ball and they were in Southern Utah territory and easily could have accepted a, uh, an interception there versus, you know, at sack, then, you know, you're going to end up uh, punting. So the offensive line to me was the standout group. Um, the play of Rashad white, Damonte Trainum, Daniel Legata, you know, e- even the two walk-ons who got reps and we knew that they're pretty good walk-ons George Hart in particular, and, and Deontay Elliott to a lesser degree, um, that was pretty much, you know, I would say boiler boilerplate stuff. Um, but it also is an indication of why it should be expected that ASU is going to rely very heavily on its run game again this year, regardless of the aspirational comments made by Zach Hill about being a 55% pass team. And yeah, as, as we talk about passing, the hope is that that run game can open up the passing game. The passing game against Southern Utah was okay. Jaden Daniels was, was very efficient in 10 for 12, only threw for 132 yards. So we talked about he was sacked twice. He had a long of 31 yards. There were a couple receivers that kind of here and there did well. Curtis Hodges was well on the receiving end. Ricky Pearsall was kind of all over the place rushing and receiving as well. What did you guys see from the passing game from Jaden Daniels and what can they work on in the future? I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily think that there's too much to say other than what we've already talked about. It's not that they kind of shied away from the passing game when they probably had an opportunity to really expand on it and get guys comfortable in that regard. Uh, I would say that Andre Johnson made a really nice catch. He was the Pac-12 catch of the week. Uh, nice, nice grab for him. Uh, Curtis Hodges, who was talked about during Herm Edwards' press conference, had a nice game. Uh, you know, they, they, there were some guys who looked good, but again, I think that we didn't necessarily see as much as we probably could have, and maybe even should have seen in a game against Southern Utah, who, like Carson said, really struggles against the pass game. So, uh, I think that there's more to be seen and kind of more to be desired from the passing game when ASU gets into this UNLV game this weekend. So, uh, I, I think the answer on that is, is more we'll see, and they kind of did the minimal amount that they could in the first game. I agree with Jacob. Obviously, there's a lot more to be seen with this aerial attack from ASU, but I do think that this game was sort of representative of what you might expect in that you have 14 passes completed and you have eight different guys catch a ball. Nobody had more than three receptions. LV Bunkley Shelton was a leader there, as I think several of you guys highlighted on the season preview podcast. He had been noted as that really consistent, reliable, down-to-down possession guy throughout preseason camp, but there wasn't that standout guy. I did think that Curtis Hodges was impressive, and you saw, again, his unique ability to be that big play guy as a tight end, as a converted receiver that you just don't see all that often. But I think that you saw, even without a guy like Elijah Badger, uh, there's depth in this room. But again, there was not that one standout guy, and you can't say that there isn't going to be a clear number one on this team because of one game in which they attempt limited passes but that was sort of the indication from game one, as I think was sort of the expectation. Right. Jaden Daniels completed 10 of 12 passes, 
132 yards, no touchdown, no interception. But I don't think it it looked as good as those numbers do, right? He had the there was an interception that was later uh, overturned. That was a really bad throw. Uh, that was for Johnny Wilson, where he ran a comeback route and almost looked like Jane Daniels was throwing a curl route. Uh, it was well off. He had a he short hop another receiver, uh, kind of early on in the game. And then I mentioned the two plays where he clearly left the pocket when he shouldn't have, which I think was um, one of the one of the things that we really got to pay attention to. But Daniels moving forward, remember he was so reliant on his legs and scrambling for first downs um, as a freshman two years ago with ASU's offensive line being pretty bad. And I think that it almost um, contributed to some some tendencies that he has now that he has to sort of unwind him, himself from to some degree. And that really is forcing himself to stay in the pocket, go through progressions, wait for receivers to come open a little bit. Now, as far as the assignment execution of the receivers, I thought it was pretty good. Um, LV Bunkley, Shelton, Andre Johnson, those guys did what they were supposed to. There weren't drops, right? Uh, everybody caught the ball when when they were um, targeted, and um, they had Curtis Hodges. You know, one play was called back, but they were getting the tight end involved. I thought they had that one sort of block delay route release um, that was nice. And um, at the same time, because of the penalties, I think that prevented their rhythm. They didn't get as many passing attempts. They didn't uh, get as many guys more targets as they would have liked. Nobody on the team having more than three catches. Definitely not what they wanted going into this game. And so they're going to have to do better in these areas against UNLV, which they're a 33-point favorite against, uh, before they get into some some tougher opponents. Yeah, and at the end of the day, when you, when you look at the offensive game, the rushing game was very good, the passing game maybe left a little bit to be desired. But on the other side of the ball, the defense, they had four takeaways. Herm Edwards has talked about throughout the beginning of uh, the end of camp and the beginning of the season, talking about tackling, how not much of it is done during the during practice and, and all camp and stuff like that, just due to injuries and stuff. What were the overall uh, ideas and what did you guys think about the defensive play? Uh, I would say that the – Standout guys for me, if I had to pinpoint a couple of performances, obviously Darian Butler was fantastic uh, with the two interceptions. Uh, He knew where and when to be, and he clearly had studied uh, Southern Utah before the game and just kind of their underneath route concepts and was able to jump some of those. Uh, DJ Davidson was really good. Uh, He led the team in tackles and was was fairly solid up on the line. Uh, And then, you know, I would say that even though ASU was able to generate a third takeaway with DeAndre Pierce, I personally, and I think Chris would echo this, I wasn't personally super impressed with how Chase Lucas or DeAndre Pierce or Jack Jones played Evan Fields too. Uh, I think that they have a lot more uh, potential and capability in terms of overall performance. Uh, There were several throws towards the end of the game that they, of all people, should probably have been able to at least contest more than they did. Uh, And it set Southern Utah up for, for a score that they maybe wouldn't have gotten otherwise if they were playing a little tighter on their coverages. And then, you know, also I would say that it opened up the door for some run game stuff that ASU wasn't really able to stop. Merlin Robertson didn't have a particularly good game. Uh, Kyle Soley didn't have a particularly good game. And Southern Utah was able to kind of run 
on ASU with some concepts that were really not all that complex. And for a defense of ASU's, you know, experience and the caliber of players that they have, they probably should have been able to stop both some of those attacks through the air towards the end of the game and then also the run game throughout. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Jacob just said. And I thought that obviously the secondary has been seen as the flagship unit. And there were a few moments where they didn't look so sharp. Early on in that first series, Chase Lucas got beat deep on a throw to the right, and it was just a little bit strange to see that early on against the opponent of this caliber. And it ended up being an incomplete pass, but again, those are the kind of opportunities that was maybe a little bit sharper quarterback play you get punished for if the opponent isn't Southern Utah. So I think that overall, you hold them to 14 points. You've forced the four turnovers, which has been the calling card of this ASU defense. The last two years, they've forced more than twice as many turnovers as they've committed themselves. And so they rely on that. And you can look at the positive turnover margin and say for a lot of teams, maybe that's not replicable game to game or season to season. But for ASU, it largely has been. I think that, Jacob, you're right about the run game and that there were some cracks there. Herm said that he didn't think that they were quite as sound in their gaps as they could have been there. But also at the end of the day, you hold Southern Utah to 78 yards on three yards per attempt. So it's not like they were just demolished there. And I will say, I think that perhaps the most impressive couple of guys were some of the newcomer defensive lineman who we talked about previously throughout camp. I thought that Trevez Moore was very impressive, got a big pressure on a Justin Miller interception early on, had a sack of his own, and then BJ Green came into the game and had a sack as well. And so I thought that the physical traits that we've talked about with those guys for Trevez, the quickness for BJ, that blend of quickness and power at his size, all of that was on display. And that continues to bode well for this improving defensive line. So all around, I thought that it was an okay performance from them. They could have been sharper in a couple of respects, but I think that the pass rush was encouraging. The depth that you saw at that defensive line was encouraging. And when it comes to the secondary, you really have to think that they're just going to get sharper and better as the season goes on, even though maybe you expect a group filled with fifth and sixth year seniors to be a little bit cleaner than that off the bat. I was kind of underwhelmed really. The, the stats to me don't really tell the full story. If you look at the the performances in, individually on a play-by-play basis, the only real standout performances were by DJ Davidson and Trevez Moore did play quite well um, and Darian Butler. And then actually the in the secondary, the surprisingly good player was Mason Williams. I thought when... To Marcus Davis being out, I thought that would hurt them, but not in, but it didn't really hurt them in the way that I anticipated. They moved Chase Lucas into the slot. He gives up a third and medium and then a third and nine on a whip route. And I'm saying to myself, I, we didn't see Chase Lucas give up plays like that in practice in over a span of weeks. And here it is against Southern Utah. Jack Jones gave up a couple plays. DeAndre Pierce gave up a couple. Evan Fields wasn't in position to make a play on one of the longer throws that I thought he should have been over the middle when there was no other vertical threat after DeAndre Pierce let that route kind of go. And so when you, when I see that Justin Miller completed 19 of 30 passes for Southern Utah, it's like, eh, that's like better and more than I think he should have against ASU. And in the run game, we were all wondering what was going to happen with Jermaine Low layout. And then with Stefan Wright having transferred to SMU, 
you know, with, with Shannon Foreman having to play a lot of reps at three tech and then behind him between TJ Pesafea and Omar Norman Lott, how that was going to look. And I thought that those guys were very average and, and then throw Corey Stevens in there against the run. It was pretty basic stuff that Southern Utah was doing, but they were kind of washing the line down and opening up that those those runs that were right straight ahead kind of runs. And if they were more talented, they would have gashed ASU, I think, a lot better than they actually did. And then other than Darian Butler, who was who was really dialed in, I thought the two interceptions where he read the routes and understood what was coming well ahead of time and was able to jump in front was great. But between Merlin Robertson and Kyle Soley, I thought the play was pretty average from ASU's linebackers. Those guys were not like popping all over the place, rallying to the ball, seeing things develop, develop ahead of time. In fact, both uh, of Southern Utah's touchdown runs, Merlin Robertson was out of position. And on one of them, Robertson and Butler were both out of position because Butler jumped. He was reading between the B and C gap. He jumped to the C, the run broke to the B, and Merlin Robertson overcommitted to, to where he thought all the blocking was leading him. And then the other play, it was a motion where he pointed out the motion. Chase Lucas was trailing it. Then the motion guy came back with the football from where he had come, and Merlin Robertson didn't recognize it. Well, the really good, uh, uh, savvy, schemed offenses in the Pac-12, like UCLA with Chip Kelly, they would have, they would have torched ASU if they had looked the way that they did on those types of, of plays. And so the disparity in the athleticism masked to some degree things that I saw that were problematic. And I don't, Herm Edwards, I asked him about this in the press conference. He thought, he said that he thought they played pretty well, which a little, that surprised me a little bit, actually, as a defensive guy, because I, I don't think that, um, I don't think it was that good. And um, not, and certainly not for the level uh, that they should probably be at at this point with all these guys coming back on defense. So I am very much looking forward to seeing how they progress into UNLV and then BYU, because even against BYU, if they had some of these things on display, uh, they, 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 that would have been problematic uh, in, in some areas. And, and just, Ethan, wait, hold on one second, Ethan. If I could just add to what Chris just said briefly, because I think it's important. ASU in the next couple weeks, particularly, has some matchups that are going to be really telling in terms of its ability to stop the run. Even against UNLV, who you know is not a particularly good football team. They just lost to an FCS school in their season opener. They actually have a fairly talented running back, Charles Williams, a super senior who rushed for over 170 yards in, in UNLV's season opener with a mediocre at best offensive line in front of him. You know, the following week, ASU is going to play BYU. BYU rushed for 163 yards against U of A in its season opener this past weekend. So there are some challenges coming up and, you know, we can keep going into conference play, the teams that ASU could face with very talented running backs, you know, UCLA, particularly one of them, but just in the next two weeks alone, I think it's going to be really telling for what ASU is going to be able to do at stopping opposing teams run. And I do think just one more thing related to what Chris was saying about how you know, maybe the numbers weren't reflective of the level that ASU really played at defensively. The four takeaways are obviously a good thing, but 
this very easily could have been a game in which Southern Utah scores another touchdown or two or another field goal or two. They had two 50-plus yard drives that ASU bailed themselves out of by forcing turnovers. And in the first half, Southern Utah had almost 160 yards of offense. So there were stretches in which they were having the ball moved on them and the turnovers sort of bailed them out there. But I think if you let up 21 points to Southern Utah or you let up 20 points to Southern Utah, and maybe that's a little bit more alarming than the 14 points that they ended up holding them to. They probably would have scored on that one where Jack Jones ended up forcing the fumble, but they recovered. Right. They had been, they had been driving the ball pretty decently uh, on that possession. So I, I really, I really do believe that that was a average to worse performance by ASU's defense. And that is something that is a little fearful given the high expectations that the defense had with a lot of veteran players, as you guys talked about. We'll see how they progress uh, against UNLV and BYU, as you guys also talked about. Now, let's go over to special teams. There was a question about special teams, including kicking throughout camp. Logan Tyler took five PATs and missed two of them, and five of his seven kickoffs were touchbacks. What do we see out of the kicking from Logan Tyler? I mean, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. I think all of the concerns that Herm Edwards had expressed throughout the preseason about his team's kicking materialized in the season opener. I mean, you can't, I, I think, Chris, you posted on our, on our message board, when was the last time, or it might have been in the 10 takeaways, when was the last time ASU had a kicker who missed two PATs in the same game? I mean, it is, it's really bad. And it wasn't like the first one was some great, you know, blocking that happened from Southern Utah for them to get to the kicker and block the, the, the kick. No, it was, it was a poor contact ball that was in a position for somebody to, to get to and block. And then he clanks one off the right upright. The kick went out of bounds. So I would say that all of the concerns that we heard about in the preseason are, you know, fully true. Uh, I do think that ASU is a problem at kicker, and there's a reason they brought in Christians and Dejas. And, uh, you know, depending on how Logan Tyler can perform – against UNLV, which what I would assume is his last opportunity without Zendejas ready to get into a game, uh, he's going to need to play well if he wants to hold on to his spot. And I don't think that Herm Edwards made much of an effort to conceal that concern in the postgame presser. He said that the kicking situation was very interesting and talked openly about how he had tried to communicate to Logan Tyler before that kickoff. He basically said, using uh, uh, an analogy to golf to use his wedge and to take a little something off it and to control it. And then he went out there and kicked the ball out of bounds and Herm was obviously not very pleased with that. So I think that we saw throughout camp, Logan Tyler have some of those issues with the low kicks that ends up resulting in a blocked extra point in the first game. Herm also talked about how there was a little bit of chaos on that point after because the clock was running down. They hadn't substituted as sharply as he wanted. And that ends up resulting in maybe a rushed attempt there. But overall, I think that clearly this was something we highlighted as a potential point of concern. And uh, along with the penalties, this was very clearly to me, the weak point for ASU in that opening game. Remember they had uh, a roughing the punter by Andre Johnson, which they teach the guys to actually run by them, not to cross the face of the punter. And especially not if you aren't for sure going to block it, which he wasn't even close to blocking it. So that was a big mistake. They also had that intermediate sort of halfway onside kick that they recovered that uh, two ASU freshman linebackers, Will Schaefer and Eric Gentry were immediately in the vicinity, vicinity of, and neither one came up with it. 
right? So there was a bunch of problems on special teams, and that hasn't been normally the case with Sean Slocum. Um, now, they did have pretty good kickoff and uh, punt return coverage and blocking. They That enabled DJ Taylor to have some good returns. He had the 40-something yard punt return that he could have scored if not for the, the punter stopping him. Guy is electric. Uh, he's we know he's going to be one of the better returners in in the country at this point. I'm saying to myself, why are they even toying with Rashad White as the punt returner, given the the injury possibility that could happen when you have DJ Taylor, who is every bit as good, if not better. Um, and then Eddie Zaplitsky absolutely was the standout performer on special teams relative to expectations in this game. He had two punts for 46 yards. Everyone was looking to see, okay, now that Michael Turk has moved on, how are they going to look in their punt game? Well, Zaplitsky comes in and his very first punt literally backs off the one inch line of uh, before going in. And then it, it, it stops dead at the one yard line and ASU covers that up. And then his other punt was a 50 plus yard punt that was also uh, downed inside the 20 yard line. So that was outstanding. We're talking about somebody that, to my eye, looked like a future all-conference player and an NFL draft prospect. Remember that at times, even though he had a phenomenal leg, Michael Turk struggled with taking something off of it and pinning opponents inside the 5 or 10-yard line. And what we saw in that game from Zaplitsky, to me, was like already – as good or better than anything that we saw from Turk in that one particular component. So, and we'll see if that's a fluke, obviously it's one, one punt, right. But um, you know, if they can get their kicking situation ironed out, which is probably going to come with Christians and Dejas uh, replacing um, Logan Tyler in the next week or two, I, I would imagine as soon as they're able to get that done, they should get back to being probably uh, one of the better special teams in the, in the Pac-12. And more on, on Chaplitsky as well. Both of his kicks were inside the 20. So he was very, very good in that sense in terms of pinning the other team back in their own zone. That's going to be it for this podcast, the Sunday Source Report podcast. For more analysis than we went over in this podcast, Chris has wrote 10 takeaways and upon further review, which are both on the site now. We'll also have a preview podcast for UNLV, which is coming up this Thursday. That's a members-only podcast, so make sure to sign up to get that content. And then, of course, stay in tune for all of our content leading up to Saturday's game against UNLV at Sun Devil Stadium. For Jacob Rudner, Chris Cartman, and Carson Greber, I'm Ethan Ryder, and we'll see you guys next time.